Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go, Luke 22, and we have to move rather quickly because this is one of the longest chapters. It may be the second longest chapter in the New Testament. So here's what it says. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priest, and by the way, Passover is the first you know, major holiday, holy day. That's what a holiday is. And then starts the seven days of unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's why those two go together. But the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, those seven days, gets kicked off by Passover. That's the big high holy day. So it goes on in verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, Jesus, of course, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas. Wow, what a powerful statement. Then Satan entered Judas. How did he do that? Judas allowed him to do it. Judas allowed him to do it through the love of money, a crave, uh, an unrighteous crave for money. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. That's a powerful statement as well, who was numbered among the twelve. Do you know what an honor it was of all the people on the earth to be numbered in the twelve apostles of Jesus? Gave it all up for 30 pieces of silver. Verse 4. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Trying to stay away from the crowd who loved Jesus and adored him so that they could arrest him and take advantage of him without being mobbed or causing a big tumult. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. So this is Passover, uh, when it must be killed. And it says, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there, or there make ready. So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He had already eaten at least two other Passovers with them. and But he said, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this one. Why? Because this is the Passover. You remember the Passover being initiated in Exodus chapter 12 with the Israelites the 10th, 10th plague coming out of Egypt and the, the destroyer, the death angel, as we call him, came and was going to destroy the firstborn of every home. But God told the Israelites, take a lamb, each for a house, each lamb, one lamb per household and kill it at twilight and take some of the blood and put it on the lentils of the door, uh, the two sides and the top. 
And so when the destroyer comes and sees the blood, he will pass over your house, your home. So all of the Egyptians' homes, unless they heard about this and did it themselves uh, and followed that uh, instruction about the blood, all the Egyptians' home had somebody dead in it, one of the firstborn, but not the Israelites. They were passed over because of that blood. Well, this was all a type, a figure, a foreshadow of Jesus and his blood uh, being on our the doorposts of our hearts, so to speak, so that the destroyer can't destroy us. We have eternal life, see? And so this is what this is all about. This is why Passover is such a big commemorative holiday for the Jewish people. God told them you need to celebrate this every year. And then the seven days of un unleavened bread. And of course, leaven is uh, a, a symbol of several things in the Bible, but one of them is sin. And so when God says you're going to have seven days where you eat no yeast, that's what leaven is, no yeast. So if you're going to eat bread, it's going to be like what we would call a cracker, a matzo. And so it's going to be flat. It doesn't rise because there's no yeast. But it's a sign of living a life with no sin. See, the blood of the lamb washes away the sin. So the Passover and then the days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So he said, with fervent desire, I have des desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after cup after supper, saying, this cup of the new covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So notice, yes, we are uh, we are taking a covenant meal, but we're also receiving his broken body as being broken in our place so that our bodies do not have to be sick and broken. We're receiving his blood to wash us from our sins. And also, he's cutting a new covenant. Now, of course, this is the covenant meal. As those of you that have studied blood covenant with us know, this is the covenant meal. But he won't actually cut the covenant with his two wrists until the next day on the cross. That's when the covenant is really cut. But this is the commemorative meal of the covenant that is receiving the seriousness of the covenant in mutual agreement. So he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So Satan has already entered Judas, but he's still at the table. He has not yet gone to betray Jesus as of yet. So it goes on to say, then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? 
Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It makes you think that the 24 thrones that we see around the throne of God in the book of Revelation, that 12 of those 24 are for the seats of the 12 apostles. Of course, Judas being swapped out by Matthias. That's an assumption, but I think it's interesting. Well, what would the other 12 be? The 12 tribes of Israel? See, it seems to me like the old covenant would be the 12 tribes of Israel. The new covenant would be the 12 apostles, and that would make up the 24 thrones around the throne of God in the book of Revelation. Verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, this is interesting, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Oh, there's so much into that. First of all, why is Satan asking for Simon and not John, not James, not Matthew, not uh, Bartholomew? Why is he asking for Simon? Because Simon seemed to be the leader of the disciples. It always mentions him first. You know, Peter, James, and John never says James, Peter, and John, or John, James, and Peter. It always says Peter, James, and John. Peter's mentioned first, and it even says in Matthew uh, 10, now these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Peter uses the word first. First, Simon, who's called Peter, okay? So uh, he was indeed the number one apostle of the Lord, and Satan wants to take him out. There's a target on his chest. Satan wants to humiliate him and make um, an example of him to lead others, maybe the other disciples astray. So he asked for him. But notice Jesus just didn't say no. Jesus told Simon, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. In other words, I could keep defending you, but Simon, you have to defend yourself. You have to walk in faith and confront the enemy, and take authority over him. I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, so Jesus knows he's going to walk away, going to deny him three times and walk away. But he said, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus did know how this thing was going to play out, didn't he? Okay, verse 33. But he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that. This which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, or as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And a, a medical doctor that was studying all of this said, this is actually a very well-documented uh, condition called hematidrosis, where such pressure and stress happens uh, a person's under such psychological torment that tiny capillaries in the sweat glands burst and they actually begin to sweat blood. And so interesting that the only physician among the biblical authors, Luke, is writing about that detail, gives us that detail. The other gospel writers didn't give us that. Verse 45, when he rose up from prayer he had and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, the struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness." Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are with them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour uh, had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, he didn't want to do that. Peter loved the Lord. He's the one saying, I'll die with you. And he meant it. Some people say, oh, he said that he was all talk. He was not all talk. He's the one that picked up the sword and started swinging and cut off the right ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked him and said, put your sword away and healed Malchus. And so he's disillusioned. He's confused. He was ready to die. He pulled out the sword and was swinging, but it wasn't the plan of God. See, he didn't understand what was happening. But nonetheless, Peter was serious. But he went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because I just denied my Lord whom I love. Verse 63, now the men who had held Jesus mocked him and beat him. 
And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? Who struck you? Notice they mocked him and beat him. They're humiliating him, not to mention beating him to a pulp. Can you imagine a bunch of a whole garrison of Roman soldiers beating you? Oh, let me tell you, he was in bad shape. Even before the the flogging or the scourging, the stripes that he took, even before that just being beat up all night. He was a bloody mess. Verse 65. And many other things they blas they excuse me and many other things they blasphemously spoke against him, humiliating him. As soon as it was day, the eldest or excuse me, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him to their council saying, "If you are the Christ, tell us" And he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So notice they incited him. We're trying to get him to uh, indict himself to fall into their traps. And he finally did answer their question, but he didn't say, I am the son of God or anything like that. He said, you said it. You have rightly said it. So he wouldn't say it, but they said it. And he confirmed that what they said was indeed true. And so now they found their validation for crucifying him, which is what's going to happen in the next chapter, which we'll read tomorrow. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.